Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the newest edition of The Road to Indie Insider. My name is Rob Howden. Episode number 15 overall for the program. It's March the 28th, Thursday, so just about four days from the wrap-up of the third and fourth rounds of the Indy Lights presented by Cooper Tires at the Circuit of the Americas. It was a fantastic trip, of course, to Austin, Texas. What a great town. Got a chance to eat some great food, listen to some great music. And for the most part, uh, the focus, of course, though, on the IndyCar Classic. First time the NTT IndyCar Series uh, made its trip to this fantastic track, Coda. The facility that uh, was built, of course, for the Formula One U.S. Grand Prix. But this weekend was a good one for sure. I was scheduled to have a guest with me here on this particular podcast, but some technical issues uh, uh, made that uh, something we couldn't get done. So uh, we'll have that guest further down in the season. So it'll be just a solo run here. But again, just a couple of races to talk about as the Indy Lights program, the only part of the Road to Indy presented by Cooper Tires that was at the Circuit of the Americas. Looking back a little bit at the event, you know, a lot of talk about the fact that the NTT IndyCar Series making its debut in Austin. So many people, the minute that place opened up, said, we got to get IndyCar there because I think it would be great. (laughs) And in the end, we realized the track really was fantastic for IndyCar. Amazing for Indy Lights as well. If you picked up any of it on uh, Road to Indy TV or on NBC Gold, the uh, the main events, uh, wow, the finals were good. The the racing was just awesome in Indy Lights. But you got to go back six years actually for the first time that the Road to Indy actually made a trip to Austin. We were there very early, one of the opening series, I believe, maybe not even, maybe even the opening series there. 2013 Pro Mazda Championship season opener took place at the Circuit of the Americas. Uh, Diego Ferreira and Matthew Brabham, the two drivers scoring the wins. Of course, Brabham would kind of kickstart uh, what still stands as the record-breaking season. Won 13 races, absolutely dominated the schedule end up winning the championship and then uh, moving into Indy Lights the next year. Track itself, uh, you know, a lot of feedback from the drivers. They absolutely love it. Uh, every time they came out, they just love the the rhythm section of the track. Uh, Oliver Askew, who, of course, swept the weekend, loves coming out of turn number one. Just that rhythm section down through, you know, two all the way to eight, uh, the S's, and then, of course, that the good run over to turn number 11, the heartbreaking left-hander hairpin that, uh, leads on to the back straightaway. 3.4 miles in distance. One of the longer tracks, of course, uh, on the IndyCar program and the Indy Lights program as well. 20 turns. So not a track where we saw everyone within, you know, a second in terms of pace with that many turns and some of the rhythm sections. There are opportunities to make mistakes and lose lots of time. If you're losing a half a tenth every corner, that's a full second over 20 laps. So uh, the road course, though, permanent road course, uh, smooth for the most part, although a couple of drivers told us that there were some bumps here and there that you kind of had to navigate around coming down the straightaways. The Herman Tilke designed track, a mix of long straightaways, and actually some of the slowest corners that we'll have in the entire road to Indy season. And I think the cool factor of that, it really puts some pressure on the engineers to figure out how they were going to make the compromise in terms of having, you know, trimming the car out to try to be fast in the straightaways, but still having enough grip and downforce, you know, with the wings tilted up uh, to be able to get the power down coming out of some of these tighter corners. And that was a compromise I think, of course, (laughs) was successfully navigated by the folks at Andretti Autosport. One of the other uh, awesome factors, and you know, if you watched it on either NBC Gold or Road to Indy TV, 
it's hard to do justice to the uh, the run up to turn number one. Just massive elevation changes at this racetrack all over the facility. In fact, not just turn one, but T1 is is kind of the high point. From there, you roll down to two, get into the S's. But as you stand on pit lane and you look up there, it is just, it's a massive wall uh, as the drivers kind of come up there. And what I love about it too is anytime you have a strong, aggressive uphill like that, the braking zone shortens up because the actual uphill motion of the car shortens the braking zone, which I think pushes, puts a lot of pressure on the young drivers as they get a feel for how to get the braking done in these Delara IL-15s. Weather itself, beautiful to start. We had a gorgeous day on Friday. The clouds came in a bit on Saturday and Sunday. Temperature's still perfect, though, for an event in March in Texas, you know, mid-70s. I think 80 was the high. We were down into the 60s at one point. It was cool in the morning, but by the time we got onto the racetrack, pretty nice. Uh, dark clouds did, of course, threaten a little bit on Saturday. Uh, the first race of the double header, rain stayed away on both days, so it was dry. Uh, Cooper Tire runs for, throughout the entire weekend. Let's have a quick look, and I'll throw in some uh, some commentary as well. We'll start with with qualifying one, which leads into race one. As I said, Andretti Autosport really had things handled. Man, it's uh, they've come out of the box strong. They were really good last year, obviously, too. I think that Andretti has found something within the platform and the setup of this car. Or the, maybe it's the dampers, whatever it may be. But they've got they got something dialed in, and I believe they've got a little bit of a, a little bit of an advantage because they just seem to be good everywhere. And of course, they had two great drivers last year as well in Colton Herta and eventual champion Pato Award, who were able to go head-to-head at it. Ryan Norman stepped up again last year and was able to win at Gateway and then put the car on the pole as well at Portland. So they just have a really good package. In qualifying for race number one, as was the case for for race number two as well, Oliver Askew dominant, uh, grabbed the pole and the bonus points for both sessions. For race one, uh, qualifying went to one, two, three, and for Andretti Autosport, Askew, Norman, Ryan Norman second, and Robert McGinnis in third. Confidence, of course, for Robert McGinnis came off his opener at St. Petersburg. And yeah, it was comfortable. Got some speed in the second race and then got into the wall a little bit and turned 10 in St. Pete. Come in, came out of the box strong here. And I think that was really what got Robert McGinnis off to the foot he needed. And as we know, looking back now with a couple of podium finishes and a great run to second on Sunday, Robert turning in what I believe to be his best career road to to indie performance over a complete weekend. On the other end, kind of a stark contrast to, to the success of Andretti Autosport. Uh, Zachary Clayman with some fuel issues, didn't get any lap times in, puts him at the tail of the field, which uh, we obviously thought was going to set up something super exciting. It ended up being some chaos actually in, in race one. We'll get to that. Issues, more issues actually for, for Bellardi Auto Racing as well, as Julian Felchero had some engine issues on uh, – uh, in practice, they had to swap the engine out, and it looked like he was going to actually miss the entire qualifying run. Uh, Ryan Marine and I were actually on pit lane for IndyCar Radio, chatting it up on the one end. Normally, we're at different ends of the pits, but to start the session like that, we were kind of at the same spot. We'd grabbed a couple interviews, and I was actually in the middle of making a commentary when we were standing in Falchero's open pit box. Well, in rolls the pit cart at uh, a fairly high rate of speed, catching us a little bit off guard. I stumbled over it a little bit as we... Ran for cover, took evasive maneuvers, but uh, he and I, Ryan and I, able to get out of there unscathed. But the interesting thing was Falchero. The Bellardi auto racing team got him back on pit lane, and he got about seven laps in. 
And I just think not even just for a better place to start the race, first and foremost, he got some laps because he didn't get the laps he needed, of course, in practice. And he needed a couple laps, which I think was good for Julian. In the race, um, I guess not surprising, uh, a really good start for Oliver Askey. But but ahead of that, on the opening warm-up lap, Ryan Norman on cold tires looped it. And that's uh, that's that's tough for, for Ryan. He ends up having to go to the tail of the field because there really was only the one warm-up lap before we went green. And so with him gone, open grid slot beside Oliver. So he doesn't have to worry about the guy beside him making a move on the outside or the inside or whatever. And that allowed Oliver to get the jump at the green and essentially just pull away. It was a 20-plus second lead when it was all said and done, but he really never looked back. Was able to get out of turn number one cleanly. Everybody else behind him stacking things up a bit. And indeed, chaos, as I had said. Zachary Clayman, who had the issue uh, in qualifying, a little too overaggressive, I think. Uh, I think he probably should have just been smart and got his way through turn number one without any kind of issues whatsoever. He got a, a run trying to get a – I think he's trying to get a couple of people. He was back there with, with Dalton Kellett and Lucas Cole, and I think he figured, hey, if I get a good run up into turn one, I'll get two spots early, and then I can go to work for the remainder of the run. He gets all the way over into the, uh, the pit lane as they come out. There's a bump there. And I don't know if the bump upset the car and got him too deep into the braking zone, but the bottom line is that his Bellardi Auto Racing entry pushes through and essentially T-bones the tail, not, not an aggressive, not a hard T-bone, but got, he got into the side of Lucas Cole. And I only say T-bone because that's kind of the angle. Lucas was already turning into the corner and Zachary was still going straight. And contacts his teammate, Lucas Cole, who of course loops around. He falls to the tail of the field. Zachary was able to continue on, although albeit with some damage to the actual nose cone, ripped the front of the nose cone off. He got a drive-through penalty. So, you know, for all intents and purposes, as I said, with the speed he showed, I think in his mind, it was, I'll get a couple spots, but I'm also going to challenge for the race win still. You know, I think he believed he had the speed to do it, get on the podium. I, I think I would have rather seen him just be smart, take the lumps from the issue in qualifying and try to work your way into the top five. I think he would have got that done. So needless to say, he ends up finishing seventh position, a tough start after what was a great opening weekend in St. Petersburg. First in the opening race, second in race number two. Clayman came in as the point leader, and in the end, after issues as well, another issue, a clutch issue, I believe, in race two, he ends up being in third in points. So still some work to do for Zachary Clayman, the Canadian. Oliver Askew pulls away. We all know this now. There's been a lot of, uh, obviously, social media, a lot of uh, a lot of PR about uh, Oliver being able to come out so strongly. Double win weekend really made an, an impression, I think, on the Number one, the road to Indy Paddock, and no doubt as well, considering his connection with Andretti, uh, a big uh, impression as well on the IndyCar Paddock. Behind him, absolutely thrilling battle for second spot. And, and really, as I said, it was it was the opportunity for, for Robert McGinnis to kind of step to the forefront and, and throw the gauntlet down saying, hey, I'm not the only Andretti driver that's going to be fast. Um, now, he wasn't the driver on the charge. He had the pace, but was more the driver kind of on defense, uh, if you will. Um, the cool thing is Robert's actually into fencing, so we can pull all the, you know, dodge and parry stuff out, you know, whatever whatever terms that we're not familiar with, but that's, that's sound fencing-ish. Uh, but he did a great job. And maybe part of this fencing, uh, his fencing skill set uh, played with that, to be able to make that reactionary move depending on what your opponent does. Because Toby Sowery essentially threw everything he could 
at Robert McGinnis. They swapped several times using push to pass. And I think one of the issues there on the back straightaway, which I learned, I did not know this actually at the start of the weekend, was they had two push to pass zones on the long back straightaway between turn 11 and turn number 12. There was two beacons. The beacon is what sets up essentially the gap because in Indy Lights, you have to be closer than 1.5 seconds to be able to activate push to pass, which is only offensive in Indy Lights. The driver behind is able to use the push to pass. The driver up front does not have access to it. So let's put it this way. McGinnis comes out of the corner. Sorry, within maybe a second, he gets pushed to pass. He drives by to get the lead, get the, the spot second. Well, once they get to the second beacon, well, McGinnis is right there. He's the one that gets activated. He goes back by. We saw a couple of laps like that uh, where it kind of swapped back and forth. It was interesting for sure, but the bottom line is uh, Toby Sauer has been very impressive in the BN Racing uh, kind of team Pelfrey collaboration with that, with that Pelfrey car. A couple of podiums at St. Petersburg. And I think Sowery probably would have, had, would have had a car to be able to get at least third, potentially battle for that second spot. But in talking to Toby later on, a couple of issues, one with, I believe, one of the uh, one of the mounting bars, like one of the stabilizers for the under tray, the, the rear underwing of the car. And then also left rear uh, camber shims popped out as well. The minute that happens, of course, no stability in that in that co- in that corner. It's able to kind of move back and forth. Lost the stability in the platform, and faded uh, back into the field, which was tough for Toby after after showing some tremendous sp- uh, speed. With Sowery gone, though, you think, "Hey, McGinnis is good. He's going to just be able to cruise to second spot." No, Rena's VK picks up the baton and says, "All right, I'll take the fight to you. Let's do this." Uh, Renus, I think, in talking to the team down a bit in terms of overall pace to McGinnis. So he really had to get the elbows up and pick that, that Yohunko's car up his, his Mazda scholar machine, Mazda sponsored scholarship machine and really will it forward. And he was able to get there and they went back and forth going at it. Uh, and it was just, the bottom line was it was awesome. Uh, Oliver Askew ends up getting the win. As I said, over, over 20 seconds becomes the eighth different driver in the modern road to Indiana, and I say modern road to Indy, meaning 2010. That's when USF 2000 started uh, with Anderson Promotions. They, of course, picked up the pro Mazda program, which is now Indy Pro 2000, 2013. And then, you know, in 14, they were able to get the uh, uh, the Indy Lights program as well. So if you go back to 2010, only eight drivers have won on all three levels of the road to Indy. USF 2000, Indy Pro, and Indy Lights. It's Sage Karam. Uh, Matthew Brabham, Spencer Piggott, Zach Veach, um, Nico Jumin, Renus VKM. One, I'm spacing on one right now. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but um, eight in total have won on all three levels. Matthew Brabham, I said, I said Matthew already. Yeah, eight in total have been able to win uh, and throw Oliver Askew in there as well. And we're going to see more because there's obviously some great drivers coming up the ranks as well. Uh, if Parker Thompson gets a chance to get the Indy Lights, I guarantee you he'll be added to that list as well. So in the end, uh, Robert McGinnis is in a third as Renus VK was able to get by. Let me reset what I, I did say. Renus was able to get by to get second spot. And it was, I want to say, probably just an absolute relentless focus on making that happen. He tried inside, outside. The move he made to get the pass done was a great inside move and then was able to hold the spot. I'm telling you, Renus just, uh, he picked it up. Coming off that great win in the second round at St. Petersburg, he had the momentum, but I think he knew at a track here um, like Coda, he was back a little bit in terms of overall pace, just a t- just a touch off in terms of 
outright speed. Uh, but that second place finish is going to keep him right in the championship. In fact, I believe he took over the championship lead after that second place finish with Oliver Askew, of course, recovering from the DNF in round number two. So for a time, Renus VK from Hunkos Racing was indeed the, the point leader. Robert McGinn is holding on to the third spot. So indeed, he finished third uh, in the uh, the opening of the two races. You know, for me, when, in terms of my stars of the race, I've released them, of course, on the my Facebook page and my Twitter page for Road to Indy Insider. I'm putting them on my, my own personal kind of all-encompassing Instagram uh, account, which is uh, Rob Howden Racing. I encourage people to follow me there because a lot of great coverage of not only the Road to Indy and IndyCar, but on my weekends at the karting event, you're going to be able to see some of the drivers you're going to see in the Road to Indy in the next couple of years. In terms of star of the race, this was a this was a toss-up, right? I don't I don't like using my star of the race on a driver who wins from the pole because, of course, he's the star of the race. Fantastic job. But I, I would rather kind of find that story further back that I think is one I need to look at. So I probably could have picked Robert McGinnis on this one. You'll hear that I, yeah, and if you've seen it online, I, I picked Robert for the second one, second race, when I probably could have picked David Malukas as well because he moved forward so impressively after the issues uh, that he had getting disqualified after qualifying off poles. A good run from the back for him. And we'll talk more about that. But I decided to go for Oliver in this only because, not only, because of the comeback from the sh- just supreme disappointment from Sunday in St. Petersburg. He finished third in the opening round, did Oliver ask you. Qualifies on pole for round number two. And it was he and VK that got together. Um, you know, these guys have been going head to head in USF 2000 and then Pro Mazda in 2018. And to have that issue happen, opening weekend, a pretty hard wreck and turn to, you know, any young driver, remember seeing it last year with all with uh, Aaron Tielitz. That's a big, that's a big budget hit. It hurts, especially when you know you're fast and you're probably going to go for the first race win. And, and just two weeks later, you got to have that mental toughness to be able to turn things around and come back. And I think for me, that's one of that's probably the reason why I went with Oliver because it was just such a, a flawless performance on Saturday in race number one to get that first victory. The second one's big on Sunday, of course, but to get that first victory, I think for uh, for Oliver, for me, that was star that was star of the race worthy. He uh, didn't put a wheel wrong, got a great start, did everything he needed to do all day long. So yeah, he's he was my star of the race. Oliver Askew, um, it's just super impressive. All right, into qualifying for for uh, race number two. Ask you again on the poll, as I said, and I think one of the keys, of course, is the bonus points, right? Bonus point, one po- one bonus point for pole. He also went quicker, so he sets the new track record uh, for Indy Lights, the official track record in qualifying. We'll see, of course, if anybody can top that next year. David Malukas, again, could easily have been star of the race for race number two. Qualify second, but gets uh, disqualified in post-race technical inspection for uh, under tray height, the under tray a little too low, providing too much downforce. Uh, he has to go to the tail of the field. So this moves Robert McGinnis from P3 to P2, which really kind of sets the stage for the story of the start, which was exciting. Row number two for the start of our second race in the doubleheader. Renus VK on the inside, the current point leader at the time, and Ryan Norman on the outside. If it wasn't for the DQ, we would have had three teams qualify in the top four, but let's not use that one for Malukas because the car obviously was not compliant. All right, starter race number two. The day dawned quite a bit cooler. Overcast, temperatures I think were in like the mid to high 60s at that point. 
Um, as we as we got rolling, you know, everybody's. I think we all just hold our breath, especially from pit lane, where we get a really good look at it. That's one of the things about turn number one as well. And we got big screens everywhere, but there's no real tracks that we're at that we get a really good look, other than on the screens, the big boards, of what happens. Because essentially, as they come up that big hill. It's like coming up a tidal wave to a certain extent. You're looking at them as they will will get up there. So we get a really good look at who's kind of sprawling out, who's making a move to the inside or outside. I made a mistake, actually. As as they just got up there, I looked over to the boards, and by the time I looked over, um, McGinnis had already made his move. So McGinnis doesn't get the best as good a start as as Askew, but comes straight across the bow quickly, or rather behind him, and goes all the way from right to left and actually beats – Oliver to the apex of turn number one. Oliver, you know, very likely because of the way the turn one is laid out, probably could have rolled the outside, you know, pushed it way over top of the curb and got the thing to rotate. Uh, but very smart. I know that they had a conversation earlier saying, hey, listen, whatever happens in one, let's just work together for the first however many laps, handful of laps, and pull away. Let's make this a two-driver battle, which, man, very, very smart for the drivers of the same team on the front row. So McGinnis able to pull away uh, with Askew in tow. They get a pretty good gap. And through the first five laps, the fight behind them is aggressive. Everybody's settling in. Toby Sowery into the third spot. And then essentially, to be honest, like nose to tail all the way, I want to say five car, cars at one point. Um, Oliver settles in. Very wise, very mature. Doesn't put a wheel wrong, as I said. Pushes hard a couple of times to try to find a way by Robert. Finally gets the job done on lap number six, takes over the lead. And at that point, gapped a gap McGinnis decently over the, a couple of laps, then began to pull away. I think Robert used uh, some of his push to pass, uh, you know, and then to try to hold with them. But no, um, ask you able to stretch away and ends up, uh, of course, taking another victory to go back to back with the wins. Just a huge weekend for asking, no doubt. Again, you know, if, if McGinnis could have been pushed, more throughout a race weekend. I haven't seen it in his time. Uh, and there's no doubt that this particular weekend, not only the best career road to Indy weekend for uh, for McGinnis, but one, I got to say that he got pushed and probably learned more or maybe had his racecraft pressured and developed and honed more than having to, to race as hard as he did for second spot on so many occasions. Again, let's 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 talk. So as the race goes, McGinnis gets challenged again later in the race, but not really essentially over the first probably three quarters of the race. Leaders pull away. Askew has the lead now. McGinnis goes to second. It was that gap. Toby Sowery had a good spot in third, and he had a really big gap back to what was essentially happening after that. Ryan Norman, right about the halfway point, was leading a train. He was in fourth. Renus VK fifth. Uh, claiming it was in sixth spot, Falchero seventh, Malukas was kind of biding his time back there in, in the eighth spot. And the cool thing about, about David, and he got asked this by IndyCar Radio um, at the end of the race, he said straight up that he was kind of taking it easy for the opening couple of laps. Didn't want to burn off the rear tires. He knew he would have push to pass. Just see what happened. And uh, another, just a really mature run for uh, David Malukas. So again, Things now start to develop. People start getting a little more aggressive, which is interesting. Renus VK, who's finished second the day before, not happy at all, running back in fifth. He makes an aggressive move to get to the inside of Norman. Looks like it's going to stick, but he ends up driving off in the next corner wide over into the runoff area. Norman gets by. Um, 
Zachary Clayman got was able to slide by as well, and almost Julian Fal- uh, actually I, almost Malukas at that point. Um, so again, set, settle it in now with uh, with Norman back to fourth, Clayman up to fifth. Clayman eventually gets by Norman and starts taking off after Toby Sowery. So Zachary Clayman has got the pace; he's pushing. I think we'll find out later on, but I think he was destined to get Sowery and very likely third spot. So. The interesting part of this midway part of this race, uh, Falchero running good, but the guy on the move was David Malukas. No doubt about it. Coming through the field. He was able to get by um, Falchero for sixth on lap 11. A couple laps later, he makes a move to the inside of Ryan Norman um, in turn number one, lap 13, and then starts chasing down um, Clayman. So there's Malukas already up to fifth already. Everything changes. We went green to checker in race one, not so in race number two. And, and just a horrible weekend kind of ends for Zachary Clayman. He ends up pulling off the racetrack. Now, what I'm being told by the team, it was a clutch issue. Earlier in the lap, he made a, got a little wide and got over a, one of those big sausage curbs that you guys may have heard up uh, about. And if you watched it on the video, he was his front end was had to have been three to four feet in the air and come and slam him back down. Not sure whether or not that, that the violence of that you know, impact that touchdown hurt anything at all. He ends up going out though later in the lap uh, with a clutch issue that brought out the full course yellow. And of course, as we all know, <laughs> full course yellows change everything. Uh, the gap that uh, Askew had was gone. The gap that McGinnis had over Sowery was gone. And maybe even more importantly, the gap that Toby had over David Malukas was gone. Uh, Stack them back up. We go green with what, probably three laps to go, I think, three, four laps to go. Um, as they go green, I rather ask you great start punches off. Susie gets out of the corner. We're racing. Malukas gets by salary immediately got to the inside of him coming out of turn number 20 and ended up drag racing him up to turn one. And Malukas immediately, uh, went into the second spot. So now Malukas ready to take up the fight, which was exciting. Fully leveraging push to pass. He's all over uh, McGinnis as they try to go to work, which was uh, which was just simply fun to watch. Um, this time, though, McGinnis able to hold him back. And I think that he had some push to pass, uh, holding on. Had he got by, they probably could have flip-flopped back and forth. But I think more it was more Maluka saying to himself, I'm either going to try a low-percentage move right now. I'm not sure how his tires were. Um, you, know, you know that McGinnis is going to defend aggressively. David Malukas is on a two-year program, and I think Robert McGann is probably on a two-year program as well. So in his mind, it's like there's no need for me to make this crazy move to try to get second spot. Third is solid. I started dead last. Fantastic recovery. Let's bring this thing home in one piece and turn the spotlight and the focus over to the IndyCar Grand Prix weekend on the road course at IMS in May. And that's exactly what David Malukas did, and I think he re- he got a lot of respect in the paddock. I know I I was very impressed, and I'm talking to more guys in the media. They said, wow, what, for 17 years of age? That's some pretty heady stuff in terms of making the right decision, even though he probably had some push to pass left, probably could have forced the issue with a big move down the inside. You know, in turns 12, end of the back straightaway, there's tons of runoff. You can drive all the way through there and go, you know, you could drive off the track, what, probably 100 yards off the racetrack, maybe not quite, let's say 50 yards off the racetrack. Malukas didn't do that. Malukas said, okay, you know what, I'm good. And took a third spot, which I think was uh, massive for him. His first podium in Indy Lights. Of course, a couple of wins last year at Road America in the Indy Pro 2000 program. 
So the bottom line is Oliver Askew goes back-to-back jacks, as I said, wins both, takes over the point lead from Marinas VK. Uh, Robert McGinnis jumps up a step, moves from one side of the podium to the other, goes from third to second in race number two, and David Malukas, his first uh, trip to the Indy Lights podium, a well-deserved uh, third-place finish for the driver for BN Racing. All in all, uh, I thought the racing was unbelievable. Easily, easily the best road course racing I think overall, from start start to the finish of a weekend that we've seen in recent memory, uh, great rate. Let's not throw away some of the great racing we've seen at Road America, but man, these guys were just all over each other. And I know that it was a talking point of a lot of people at the track, in the paddock, talking to IndyCar guys, and even, of course, on social media, people were loving it too. Uh, my star of the race, I said earlier, you know, I could have went for David Malukas coming from the tail, but for me, Um, I think the props have to go to Robert McGinnis. Back-to-back races, he has challenged aggressively. I think he learned from the first race with Toby Sowery, was a little better in terms of uh, taking care of the tires, I think, a little better in terms of uh, handling, you know, the restart and being able to, to, knowing that someone was coming to get him, not make any mistakes. I think he did a great job, finished a second. Robert McGinnis, definitely my star of the race. So as we cap things off here for this particular edition, what is it? Episode number 15 of the Road to Indy Insider, The Breakdown. My name is Rob Howden. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course, rounds three and four of the Indy Lights program at the Circuit of the Americas in Austin. We look forward to the next races. All three series on the Road to Indy presented by Cooper Tires will be back in action when we head to the IndyCar Grand Prix weekend on the road course at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The date for that event May 9th, 10th, and 11th. Kind of start looking who's going to be good there, which I find, you know, I don't know. We'll see who's going to be fast when we get there. I'll tell you one thing. Um, Oliver Askew uh, has been good there before, and I think that's one of the inter- interesting things to remember is the fact that you kind of go back and look at, at some of the, um, you look at some of the rookies that we have in the program, and it's their first time at the track. You know, we don't have a lot of veteran drivers here now. Zachary Clayman DeMello, of course, uh, has run there. Uh, you look at a guy like uh, Ryan Norman, a couple of years for Ryan Norman. We have to go, I think, a little bit further back sometimes to, to say, okay, who was really, really fast as they were coming up? Who's got a good feel for it? Uh, you know, you look at, at Oliver Askew. He won both races in 2017 on the road course in, in Indianapolis uh, in USF 2000. Go back one year, last year, Askew was second in the opening race to Harrison Scott, and he finished fourth uh, in race number two in the, in the event won by Parker Thompson. So you don't go back there and say, yeah, he was a badass at, at uh, the IMS road course, but still in the hunt. Uh, same goes with, with Renus VK. Last year in Indy Pro 2000, he was a third in the opening round and then had some trouble and ended up having a DNF. So neither of those drivers really saying, hey, I'm, I've dominated the place. Although, as we said, Askew, did win both races in 2017. So can the rookie step things up? We'll see. Ask you, of course, will come in with a full head of steam, lots of confidence, loads of momentum. Renus VK, the team going to be wanting some more speed for sure, because I think they lacked a bit of it at Dakota. Uh, and then uh, you have to be sure that both, both uh, Zachary Clayman and Ryan Norman, two of the veterans, we figured they were going to come back and have that maturity not make those mistakes. Both of those drivers having issues, of course, Clayman, both were, were, were technical, but he did have that mistake in turn in race one that 
I think hindered him from getting a pretty good result, top five at the, at the very least. And then, of course, Ryan Norman spins in, this, in turn one. And I think he actually, I'm pretty sure he actually got spun by Dalton Kellett, I think, late in the race, um, in race two at Coda. Uh, and so just both of those drivers, the veterans that we would have expected, I think, to step up and make things happen, um, of course, now, yeah, kind of on their, on their back feet, trying to see what's, what they can do. Uh, in terms of the points, Oliver Askew and Renus VK, the two rookies leading the way, Askew with 98 points. He has a six-point advantage over Renus VK heading to Indy. Zachary Klayman, not that far back. 16 points behind Askew, 10 points behind VK. And again, a driver like Ryan Norman, quite a ways back right now. He's, uh, I want to say, 39 points behind the lead. He's going to need to come in and have a really good month of May uh, if he wants to get himself back into the fight. Easy to do. We're only two events into a long season of competition. We haven't hit the Freedom 100. We haven't gone back to Gateway where, you know, where Ryan was able to win last year. We've got a new event at, at uh, Laguna Seca this year, too. So still a long, long way to go. This will likely be, I think, well, pretty much the short, the shortest, uh, in terms of content, the shortest Road to Indy Insider breakdown that we'll do for the 2019 season. And as I said, all three series back again uh, for the month of May. The road course for all three, and then, of course, uh, the USF 2000 and Indy Pro 2000 drivers on the Oval at Lucas Oil Raceway for the Carb Night Classic, and then the during Carb Day, the Freedom 100 for the drivers in Indy Lights. Folks, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Do me a massive favor. Uh, hop on Podbean or or, uh, or iTunes, wherever you're downloading it. Uh, leave me a review. Uh, give me a rating. Five stars is awesome. If it's a one star, I appreciate it. Uh, if it's a one star, send me some feedback. Tell me what I'm doing wrong so I can get that five star idea. I do appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast, folks. Thank you so much for listening for everything that we do on the road to Indy TV and, of course, uh, IndyCar Radio. I do appreciate it. Again, follow me on all the social media channels. Uh, uh, Road to Indy Insider on both. Uh, or the Road to Indy Insider on Facebook. I believe it's RTI Insider on Twitter and Rob Howden Racing on Instagram. Thank you so much, folks. I appreciate it. My name is Rob Howden. Bye for now.